Well, good morning. Welcome to summer. It's here, man. Looking at 100 degrees staring at us already. So if this is your first summer to uh, this area, this is a cool front right now. It's coming. Um, you know, before we open up God's Word, I was, I was reminded this morning about the guy who was in, he was in prison, he was incarcerated, and uh, his wife uh, sent him a letter. And she sent him this letter, and it simply said, hey, uh, I, I'm not sure about the timing, but is it time for me to plow the back 40 and uh, plant the crops? And he knew that every letter in and out of the jail got read by, by somebody. So uh, he took it, and he wrote back to his wife and said, no, do not do anything on that back acreage. He said, that's where I planted all the gold that I took. He sent it out. Well, the next thing you know, the authorities are all over that, that farm. They're plowing up that backyard looking for that gold. And, uh, of course, they found nothing. And then he writes back to his wife, and he said, now is the time to plant the crops in the back 40. And uh, I think about that because, you know, using the scriptures use so much agricultural, uh, agrarian-type imagery. And... Uh, we bear fruit, and we look at that, and I think that the thing that uh, happens during the course of a week, you know, we come for worship. I don't know how prepared you are today. I don't know if you've prepared your heart. It's just routine, habit. You come in and that kind of stuff. But I believe that the things that happen throughout the week, the stresses that some of you are under, the pressure that some of you are under, the, the highs and lows that you come under, I think that those are the things that plow up the fallow ground, plow up that hard part, and uh, and yet I pray that when you come in here that the crops are planted and, and we see God bear fruit. And that's where I really pray. I know some of you are going through some stuff that I can't even begin to fathom uh, what you're going through. But I know God cares and he's right involved with you in the midst of whatever you're walking through. So I want you to grab your scriptures, copy of the scriptures, your device or whatever you use. And uh, I want you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 24. Psalm chapter 24 and... We are wrapping up. This is the last uh, message in this series on mountaintops. Hopefully it's been good, challenging for you. Part of our objective was to see that what God does on the mountaintops, he lives it out in the valleys. And that's what we've had to do. We talked about Abraham and Isaac. We talked about Elijah. We talked about Jesus on the Mount of Olives and uh, Mount Calvary. We walked through all those things. And so I, I pray that that has been very, very fruitful for you. Uh, today we wrap it up, though. And uh, we're heading into summer. Next week, as Brett said, VBS kicks off, and it's going to be great. And I want to say in advance, thank you so much to all of you who uh, are serving and the kids that are coming. It's going to be a great, great week. But I want to read Psalm chapter 24. And so if you'll stand with me as we read God's Word, and then, uh, and then we'll unpack what God has for us today. Psalm chapter 24, I'm going to read the whole psalm. A psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. 
such as the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Let's pray together. Father, we open your word because we believe that it is the words of life and it points us to you. Lord, it is our compass. And then we find the truth of who you are as you reveal yourself to us. And Lord, today I pray that you would take the words that are spoken, God, and that it would be like casting seed and that you you will find fertile hearts uh, to bear fruit. And Lord, I know some people are struggling in this room. It's it's difficult for them to even be here today. But Lord, they are here and they didn't come to hear from a man. They didn't come to sing songs. They came to connect with you. And so, Lord, I'm praying that that will be the outcome of what takes place today. And Father, when we walk off this campus in a few minutes, Lord, that we will truly enter the mission field. We will be so full of the living water that we can't help but go out and splash onto people who are starving to know who you are. So, Lord, use us to this morning. God, speak to us. God, may you be the center of all that we do, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we uh, kind of look at this and we wrap up this, this series we're kind of calling this one today Ascending the Hill or Ascending the Mount. And uh, we've talked a lot about that takes place on mountains. And this is one of those others about ascending up to the mountaintop. And uh, I, let me paint a picture for you. Uh, if you are have a special uh, appointment that you are to be at, you don't take it flippantly. Let me give you an example. Suppose the President of the United States send personal invitation to come meet with them, okay? Now, you're thinking, oh, man, I would love to go meet with the president. So you, you think, I'm going to go meet with the president. So what do you do? You just you don't put on your shorts and your flip-flops and your tank top to go see the president. There's certain protocol that you meet to go meet with the president. First of all, you want to do your homework. You want to know uh, some things about the president that you may not know. You want to dress appropriately. You want to fulfill what it's going to take to be able to be in such a prestigious place to be able to be there. And that's the president. But suppose that uh, you're going for a job interview. You need job bad, you just graduated college, or you, you get a chance for advancement, and you're asked to come meet with a boss, or you, there's an appointment to set up to come meet with him. You don't uh, go in there and say, be demanding. You don't go in there and say, uh, looking sloppy, like you just got out of bed. You don't go there with your hair all disheveled and, and this kind of stuff. No, you, you wear your best. You go in there with your best manners. You go in there with confidence. You go in there to meet with the boss. Let me give you a third one. You're, you're a young man fallen madly in love with this lady. You are, man, you know this is the one that God has given you to spend the rest of your life with. So, you know, protocol is to go meet with her dad to ask for her hand in marriage, right? So you go to meet with dad. you got sweaty palms and this kind of stuff. You don't go with uh, bad breath. You don't go with Stane's T-shirt. You don't go not doing your homework. You don't want to stand in front of this guy and he, he says, 
Well, how are you going to take my, care of my daughter financially? Well, I just don't know. I just don't know. Well, what, what's your goals the rest of your life? Well, we're just going to travel in my van around and do these kind of things. <laughs> you, that, that's, that's not going to fly. You know, you want to be at your best. Even though it may be nervous, you want to be at your best. You want to dress appropriately. You want to do your homework. You want to have everything thought out when you go to meet with that father. Now, we're talking about earthly encounters here that you get ready for. You go overboard. You would rather go overboard to meet with the president or to meet to, with an impending boss or impending father-in-law. You want to go overboard to present yourself in an incredible way. Now, how if those are earthly encounters, how prepared do we get to encounter the king of kings? Do we really prepare ourselves? I mean, it's notorious that Sunday morning is the time when more fights take place in homes than any other time. Cars don't want to work. All of a sudden, there's tummy aches that were never in existence before. All of these things happen. And you're thinking, you get in here and you're just sitting down thinking, oh, man, I got an hour maybe just to breathe. But we don't come here to breathe. We come here for an audience of one. And there's that preparation. Now, it's not just on Sunday worship. But how often do we come and do we ever prepare our hearts to meet with the Lord? Who, how can we ascend the hill of the Lord, so to speak? How can we go up this mountain to meet with Him? Well, I believe David gives three uh, distinct ways of worship here that I think are going to be good for us to grab hold of. So I pray that you're able to grab hold of them. The first one, well, let me give you a background on this Psalm 24 just a little bit so you know biblically where this came from. It's written by David, King David. And many believe, most scholars believe, that uh, it happened when they were taking the Ark of the Covenant from Obed-Edom's place to uh, on into Jerusalem. Okay? Now, for you that are ignorant about this or just don't have the knowledge, it's not that you're ignorant. I shouldn't have said that. You're not ignorant. You just don't have a knowledge of this particular area. Uh That's not good. I'd, I'd, I'd cut me off right there if Pastor just said you're ignorant. Okay, just don't have a knowledge about this. Should have read about it somewhere. But it's about the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, there was a guy named Indiana Jones. That, no, uh, let me get let me get to the truth of the matter. Is. Okay, just to give you a background on the Ark of the Covenant. Ark of the Ark of the Covenant was uh, what the Ten Commandments were in. There was the manna, a jar of manna in there that the Israelites had gotten in the wilderness, and that there was uh, Aaron's rod in there that he had used that budded at one time. You can go read those stories. That's what was inside the ark. The ark represented the presence of God. When they would go into battle, the ark would go first. When they would worship, it would center around uh, the ark because this was the presence of God, okay? So what happened to that ark was they travel all, all, all through um, the 40 years and they eventually come into the promised land. And in Shiloh was their place of worship. I'm going to get on to this. And so that's where the ark stayed longer than in Shiloh than anywhere else. Well, they were going into battle against the Philistines. The Philistines were the thorn in the flesh of the Israelites all the time. They go into battle and the Israelites lose. And the Philistines said, all right, we're going to take their ark. We're going to take the ark. It represents the presence of God. Only to, to second guess themselves after they got it. 
They took it back, and what happened was is that they started developing all these kind of cancerous tumors and uh, rodent infestants and infesting and, and this kind of stuff. And they said, man, we got to get this ark out of here. So what they did is they put it on a cart, and they had a, a oxen to carry the, the, uh, the cart, and they just didn't put a driver in it. They just sent it back towards the Israelites. Sure enough, it, it showed up at a guy's house named Abinadab. Abinadab had a son named Eliezer. There will not be a test on this. Eliezer was to watch over that um, ark the whole time. It was at Obinadab's house, uh, uh, excuse me, at, at Abinadab's house about 20 years. Okay? I want you to get the context of what's about to happen. So David finally says, he becomes king. It's time to get the ark to Jerusalem. This is going to be the center of the place of worship. So they go to get it. And what they do is, is they put it on a cart, and uh, Abinadab had two other sons, Aho and, and uh, uh, gosh, uh, Uzzah. Okay. Uzzah, their they're, they're cart's moving along. All of a sudden, their oxen stumble. The ark starts to tip over. Uzzah does what is the normal reaction, and he puts his hand on the ark, and all of a sudden, Uzzah's fried right there on the spot. The holiness of God. Just fried him right there. Now, I love it about David that there was two things that said about David. Number one, he got angry. That's good for me to know. He got angry at God. And then number two, he got scared of God. He was fearful. So he got angry and he got fearful. And he said, we're going to leave the ark right here at Obed-Edom's house. And that's where it's going to stay. And we'll figure this thing out. Three months later, they come back and they're going to get the ark and they're going to take it into Jerusalem. Okay? Now, what's about to happen? This procession is going to make Aladdin and Prince Ali look uh, foreign. What happened was is that they they took it. First of all, the ark was to be carried on the shoulders of the of the, the previ, uh, Levites, the priests, and they were supposed to carry it, not put it on a cart. Supposed to carry it, and every few steps. David would uh, offer another sacrifice, okay? So there's incredible preparation to, for the holiness of God to ascend the hill to come into Jerusalem. And then he come into Jerusalem, and uh, David, remember, he's dancing, and he says, I will become more undignified than this for, for the sake of this situation. And they bring the ark into Jerusalem, okay? Now, this Psalm 24, most scholars believe, was part of that rendering of giving the picture of David after he had come in. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? This isn't something to do flippantly. This is something that's incredible, and it's a beautiful procession that is taking place. The Lord, strong and mighty, is the one coming in, okay? Now, that's the picture of what is taking place. Now, I want to give you three uh, elements of that worship, though, that I think is important for us, because, listen... I don't know how to get this across to you enough. God wants to intimately meet with you. He's not playing hide and seek. He's not being uh, out there someplace. He is wanting to be intimate, close to you. But what happens is is that we are the, the, the holdback in that so often. So let me give you these three out of this passage of Scripture. Number one is this. You can write this down. We need to acknowledge God. We need... To acknowledge God. Notice in verses 1 and 2, it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. 
For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. What David is doing is he's talking about the greatness of God. He is saying that God created everything. God owns everything. God is in charge of everything. And his fullness fills everything that you look at. And that's what, that's what David is trying to get across. Because I believe this. When we have the right perspective of God, then we have worship that can take place. Here's our problem. We have too little a view of God. Pet peeve of mine is when somebody says the man upstairs. That just grates on me. He is not the man upstairs. He is God Almighty. You can't just say he's the higher power. Let me tell you, he is the creator. There's no other God that exists. He's intimately involved in everything on this globe that is created. And he is intimately involved in 7 billion people on this planet today. Nothing is beyond his knowledge. Nothing is beyond his power. He is in control. But yet he loves us intimately. And that's the incredible thing about God. And with the right perspective, now we can worship him. Uh, there's a term I use that I've used with you guys more and more. It's the term visual lethargy. And we use this with God all the time. Visual lethargy, the, the, the longer you see something, the less you see it. Right? The signs... The billboards, that's why they change billboards so often, because you're driving down the road, you see that billboard, and it strikes you. And, oh, yeah, that's... But you start doing it every day, and it no longer has any impact on you. It's white noise now, and that's visual lethargy. We've done that with God. God, what have you done for me lately? And we start, we start seeing God uh, at certain times, then we start taking it for granted. We see the grandeur of the mountains, and the next thing you know, oh, those are hills out there. We look at the waves and, oh, it's just a pond. You know, we, we lose that. But God is so magnificent, you can never, you can never um, miss out on, on his attributes. They're always there. Isaiah chapter 6 t- tells the story, or, or uh, Isaiah has this vision. And the Lord is on his throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe fills the temple, okay? And there are fiery beams uh, angelic beings, they're flying around in there and they're crying out constantly, holy, holy, holy. Okay. Now that seems like that my, most of our songs have holy in them. So what's the big deal? Anytime in the scriptures there that a word is repeated, it's repeated for intensity. So if it says verily, verily, or truly, truly, it means you need to listen up. This is intense. When uh, Jesus talked to Martha, he said, Martha, Martha. Now, we think, oh, he's just trying to get her attention. No, that's a term of intimacy that he is getting across there. So when there is holy, 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 it means that this is incredibly intensive, what God is doing here. And so one scholar said it this way, and I, I agree with him. It's like these angelic beings, God is so mighty that they're looking upon his throne. And every time they look up, they see a new facet, and it's holy, 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 the intensity of God. You can never exhaust all the virtues that are in God. But yet we, as finite human beings, are so often, we have such a small view of God. And David is trying to paint the picture. If you get the right perspective of God, He is the center of it all. He is worthy of worship. That's what it is, worth-ship. He is worthy of worship. He is the center of all that there is. So if he is owner and manager of all, then what does that make us? That makes us stewards and managers. I hate to tell you this. Nobody in this room owns anything. 
Nothing. You're thinking, well, I, I think I worked hard for that. No, you did not. I mean, yes, you worked hard to, to get something, but I'm telling you, once we exit out of these earth suits, you're taking nothing with you. Nothing. But yet God has allowed you to have it so that you can be a manager and a steward for you. No, it's for his glory. You were created for his good glory. And so when we have that right perspective, now we are able to worship correctly. God desires for you to be close to him. He wants us to be, and I love this, this term that Eugene Peterson uses, God questers. In other words, we're questing, we're hungering for the true God that is there. So we need to do all for the glory of God. Eat, work, sleep, mow the yard, laugh, recreate. Do it to the glory of God. So worship is not just singing songs and coming in and listening to me bark at you for 30 minutes. It is literally you seeing that God is the center of everything and that he's worthy of worship. I heard a speaker say it this way. He said, many people have made Jesus a resident in their life, but they have not made him president of their life. And I thought that is good. We, we want enough of Jesus so that we go, don't go to hell someday, but we don't know, want enough of Jesus to be Lord of our lives, to be in full control. But until we do, we will never have that adequate uh, worship that he deserves. So number one was acknowledge God. Number two is this. We must attend to the personal. Attend to the personal. Look what it says in verse 4. Uh, uh, verse 3 says, who can ascend the hill, hill of the Lord? Who can stand in the holy place? Verse 4. He who has clean hands, pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him. There are four things and personal. Number one is this, clean hands. Clean hands refer to your conduct. How do you live out your life in these earth suits? Your conduct and however you live it out. That, that is part of the purity. If you're going to prepare to come meet with the king, examine your conduct. It's just like if you were going to meet with a boss. You want to examine your conduct and how you're coming in. And that's what David is saying here. First of all, come with clean hands. Come with a, a clear conscience. Come in the purity the best way you know how in your conduct. But number two, he says this, come with a pure heart, pure heart. Now, what does that mean? Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does that really mean? It means a person who has the right motives and the right attitude. Oh, good night. Conduct's one thing. We know how to act properly. In fact, many people have turned Christianity into a code of conduct. And that's not a code of conduct, but we are to watch our conduct. But now we get to number two, which is that pure in heart, which is uh, the right motives and the right attitude. Oh, man. This, I struggle in this. I can really act good, but am I good? Am, am I, my motives pure? Are my attitude pure? And that is what David is saying here. Listen. You want to act a particular way, but how do you react 
to things. What is truly on the inside? See, you don't know what's on the inside till to, to you're squeezed. You know, till you're squeezed. At that point, when you're squeezed, now the true you comes out. Well, what has come out at that point? Is it a pure heart? The number three thing he says is no idols. Do not lift up your soul to what is false. No idols in your life. And anything can become an idol. An idol is anything that you're dependent on other than God in that moment. And I'm not saying that God doesn't use doctors, that God doesn't use people in your life, but, but so often we are, we are uh, bowing down to money or we're da- bowing down to prestige or bowing down to our family even. We, we can worship our family. Uh, we got to be careful in that area. And David is saying, listen, uh, conduct, pure heart, put aside the idols. And then one more he says is this, who does not swear deceitfully. Now, swear is not cussing. Swear deceitfully actually refers to an in, internal part of you, which is <clears throat> full of integrity and authenticity. Full of integrity and authenticity, not two-faced. In other words, if you slice up that person in any way, you put them in any scenario, any position, whether they have much or they have little, they are authentic. In other words, they don't act a certain way when they're up on the platform doing certain things and different out there in the world. No, there is not a difference between the sacred and the holy. We are to live out that relationship in everything that we do. Authentic, integrity. I've really come to the conclusion that people in my neighborhood and people that I associate with that don't know Christ, they may never hear me preach. But I guarantee you, they're watching my life. And if my life is is, uh, duplicitous, in other words, I live one way here and another way here, I have lost my voice. And what... What David is saying here is, he says, listen, clean up your conduct. You're going to go meet with the king. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Clean conduct. Look at your heart. What is truly your motive? What about your idols in your life? And then last of all is that, are you authentic? Are you genuine? Are, are, is this who you are? You know, Jesus, his biggest... Uh, adversaries in the human realm were the religious leaders. And this was what he said to the religious leaders in Matthew 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Mahatma Gandhi, who led India to independence, once received a group of Christian ministers. And he was asked about conversion. And Gandhi said this. He said, I believe in Christian conversion if it is genuine. On the other hand, there is nothing worse than being something on the outside that you are not on the inside. If a man has found God through Jesus Christ, then he must show the world he is a follower of Jesus or else be living a lie. What is on the inside? So, 
Attend to the personal. Many of you have camped in this. Are you, you, you are campers that go out? Some of you are, are really rustic campers. You like to go out in the wilderness and this kind of stuff. But if you go out into an area that is known maybe to have bears or uh, wildlife that's pretty can take you out, so to speak, and you build your camp there, and you got your campfire going, and you're all sitting around your campfire, and that campfire is burning brightly, and you're warming up to it, and you're having a good conversation. As long as that fire is burning bright, the wildlife stay away. But if you don't tend that fire through the night, the lower the fire gets, the more brave the wildlife gets. Here's my point here. I think we live in a day when the Lord has asked us to let your light so shine before men, but we've let our light grow dim and the wildlife is getting bolder to come in. I think we see it in our nation. We see it in churches today that if we let our light grow dim, the wildlife moves in. And so clean hands, pure heart, watch your idols, walk with integrity. The third and last thing is this. I, co- I simply say, call it awaken and anticipate. Awaken and anticipate. Because the rest of the passage is kind of like a song where it says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Here's the picture. The picture is it says someone would come up to the walls this entourage would have come up to the walls in Jerusalem. The gatekeeper, they would yell at the gatekeeper. Oh, gatekeeper! And the gatekeeper would say, who's there? Who approaches? And so this gives a picture of that. Basically, they're saying, uh, lift up your heads, oh, gates, oh, ancient doors. And the gatekeeper yells back, who's coming in? Who's approaching? And they say, it is the king of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. In other words, it's the only God, the victorious God, has come upon these walls. And the gatekeeper would open the door. But there is an awakening and an anticipation that needs to happen with our lives. I would say that most of us struggle with awakening, with expectation and anticipation to come and meet with the king. There's something that has deadened our anticipation. Maybe it's so we're fed on the world so much, but when, when Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, I wonder how much is my hunger, how much is my thirst to really be righteous, to come meet with the king. I am anticipating. I am anticipating what God is going to do. And we see here in this picture, it was a picture when the ark came in, But it was also a picture that Jesus fulfilled on the triumphal entry when he came in to uh, Jerusalem. It is also a picture of when the Christ returns. The king of glory comes riding in. It's an incredible picture here. He is the king of glory. He He is the Lord. He is the covenant God. He is strong and mighty. He is all powerful. And he is the Lord mighty in battle. And notice the addition in verse 10. It says he is the Lord of hosts. In other words, he has a mighty army that comes with him. One day Christ is going to return. And the question that we have, just as I wrap this up, is this. And I want to ask the worship team to come on up. 
The, the question that I ask you today, I, listen, we, we often say, how was your worship service? Or I came to worship today. And, and somebody's going to walk out and say, how was worship today? And somebody's going to ask you, how was worship today? Oh, they sang some songs I enjoyed. I didn't like all of them. Uh, you know, Mark, Mark said some good things, but, you know, there wasn't some great things. And, and uh, I, I nodded off a couple of times. Or, or, in other words, our answers are all about us. It's all about us. And I, and I wonder what the Lord thinks about our worship. Because it's about Him. And so I wonder what He thinks. Because it's not about songs. It's not about preaching. It's not about prayers even. It's about the attitude of your heart. And has He been lifted up to His rightful place? And then, and then our anticipation goes to new levels. Because we're not here to earn God's favor. We have His favor. He's, he's de- demonstrated that through Jesus completely for us. So all of you in this room, no matter what you did last night, no matter what you did last year, it could have been off the charts wrong. God still loves you, and He cares deeply for you. And today, I'm just wondering, are we a worshiping group of people? Uh, are we willing to prepare our hearts to meet with Him? And I struggled with this all week long because... Psalm 24, there's so much meat there. God, what do you really want? And especially wrapping up this series on mountaintops, because we love to live on the mountaintops. We want the goosebumps. We want, man, just God's behind every, every branch, every tree, and He's in every leaf and that kind of stuff. But, but as I was reading that, I thought, God, I struggle. I, I, I struggle. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Lord, nobody can come into your presence but Jesus. And Jesus did that. And he, he opened the way for us to come. But, Lord, so often I just don't come. I just don't come up into your presence. I don't, I don't, I don't really feel like I'm, I, I ascend the hill of the Lord enough to truly worship you and get caught up in who you are. And the Lord kind of pressed upon my heart. It wasn't some verbal thing that, you know, I don't want to get mystical about it, but the Lord impressed upon my heart basically this, and I'll just share it this way. Mark, I know you cannot come up the hill of the Lord except through my son Jesus. So what I have done is I have come off the hill to you. Man, that struck me. I have a God that loved me so much. That it's not about my effort about trying to come up a hill. It's my receiving what He did to come down to me. And some of you just today need to know that God loves you. And He has come down to visit with you. But He is fully worthy of all worship. He is fully worthy of all praise. We're going to sing a song. It's, it's a song, traditional song that you've sung for years. Because He lives I can face tomorrow. It's because He lives. Not because I live, but because He lives. And so I want to pray over us.